The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the PFM Premier NFL Draft Podcast. We took a little bit of a break last week. Uh, it was, what was it, Ali? Queen Day or something over there? I don't know what the holiday is called. Queen Day. <laughs> Queen Day, something like that. that. Well, okay, enlighten us. What was the holiday then? We were going to do it. Wow. Okay, we weren't going to do it on Monday because of Memorial Day, I believe. And then it was, uh, is it the Queen's Jubilee on Thursday or something? Yeah. Or something? 70, yeah. 70, 70 years in one job. That's quite a... That's quite an impressive achievement, really. I know, think man. About it. I know, man. Like, hey, think about years. it. Maybe uh, in 2070 or whatever it is, 20, 2094, 2092, we'll be scouting guys. We'll be like, hey, this guy's got, you know, he's got jet packs on his, <laughs> on his arms. We're like, all right, this guy's the most explosive <laughs> we've ever seen. We'd like to think that. But, yeah, so it was the Queen's Jubilee, right? Is that what it's called? Queen's Jubilee. That was okay. in this country on the Thursday. We had Memorial yeah. Day on the Monday. More, normally, it's Monday when we when we record, but it was yeah. it was Memorial Day and then the Jubilee Day. And it's just like yeah, we 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 said before we hit record on the show. It feels like it's been a forever since we sat down and had a chat about some NFL draft prospects. So I know, man. I was like, to... I was talking to Ali. I was like, Ali, how you been, man? How the last three years been? Oh wait, it's been two weeks. Never mind. <laughs> so, yeah, but we are we are back. We are ready to talk some draft prospects, and you know. With all the holidays, with all the weekends, we've still been watching a lot of tape. I know, I know you have. I know for me personally, like I can only go so long before it's like, all right, I want to watch this guy. I want to see what the deal is on him. So we've been, you know, slowly working our way in and then kind of ramping up as the season inches closer. We're, st- we're still a pretty long way, only in June. But before you know it, August is going to come up and it's going to and it's going to hit like a ton of bricks and then the season will just be here. So you got to get the work in now so that you're prepared for it. And we've been kind of hitting some hot topics, some things that we've studied lately uh, in previous podcasts. So returning after a week break, we're kind of getting into the corner room because I know the cornerbacks. I think this corner class is pretty intriguing. And especially after last year's class, when you look at what we had in the 2022 NFL draft class, a lot of top end talent and a lot of depth as well. And so it set a high bar, a bar that this class is going to be pressured with meeting. And so right now, off of our initial viewings, the main question is, is it going to hold up against that pressure? Right. So we've been watching some guys at the top. I know I wrote up Cam Smith. I just wrote up Eli Ricks. I know Ali wrote up Kalei Ringo from Georgia and then Clark Phillips from Utah. Uh, Garrett Williams was another guy from Syracuse that I wrote up last cycle. But, uh, yeah, we're we're kind of rolling through it, and we're going to get to a, a bunch more in the coming weeks. But, Ali, I guess, first off, leading off, we're starting with corners, corner cornerback talk. You know, what's your early impression of this class right now? Is it stronger, weaker than last year, or is it too early to tell? Obviously, a lot of upside, and that, of course, can be the, the dictating factor, you know, especially with preseason scouting. We haven't hit the season yet, so there's a lot of guys who have the upside but maybe need an extra year or maybe need a uh, their first year for some of them in a new transfer destination to really reach their ultimate potential. So what what's your early read on this corner class? 
yeah, I think you uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you summarised it perfectly. Then that there is um, the in the early going, early um, opinions, it does feel like there is a lot of there's a lot of really good cornerbacks. I think to think back to this time last year, and I remember doing Andrew Booth's summer scouting report, and I was absolutely blown away by Andrew Booth, and you knew that Derek Stingley was going to be. Um, a, a hot name based just solely on his 2019 freshman tape, and then there was you know Amar Gardner at Cincinnati, who even before last season, you know, people were starting to become aware of Amar Gardner. And at, at this minute in time, it doesn't feel like there is that headline name of the guy who has stood out from the get go of his college career, like we had in Derek Stingley. There isn't a guy who made almost effortless, um, <clears throat> excuse me, almost effortless, um, like incredible aerial interceptions like Andrew Booth had done in his first um, couple of seasons with, with Clemson. But I, I think like you mentioned a, a couple of names there, like Cam Smith, and and I, I've sat and watched closely Clark Phillips the third and Kalei Ringo, and, and we've, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the processes we've been and uh, articles we've been putting together um, so far on on specific conferences, and and every time you look at a new team, there feels like there's a cornerback on that team that could have um, an early round impact. And I think as we build towards the season, as we build towards August, as we get into the season, I think you're going to see a, a lot of names really start to rise to the thaw of this class. And I know you've already started putting together a preliminary cornerback ranking of the guys that you've watched. And we're going to talk about that in a second. I think these are the guys with a couple of the guys that I've watched and a couple of names we're going to chuck out in a minute. I feel like these are the guys that will will rise to the top, and there is a lot of cream at the top. But I also think there's a lot of depth to this cornerback class as well. It's going to be super interesting to see how it how it plays out. But as we sit here, June the 6th, recording, Monday, June the 6th, who's your cornerback one right now, Ian Cummings? Yeah, so it's a good question. My CB1 is actually, and I know it's a big topic of discussion. Obviously, usually you defer to guys who've been productive. I know Derek Stingley was a popular one last cycle, and that was rightfully so. I mean, he had a legitimate case for CB1, even with the perceived drop-off in play, which, if we're being honest, wasn't really as much as advertised, right? And then Andrew Booth as well. I mean, just reminiscing, just kind of thinking back, man, I not just because he deserves to be fully healthy. You know, he's such an incredible talent. But I, I part of me wishes he'd been fully healthy and not had the medical red flags just to see how high he could have gone. Because I know he graded extremely high for you. You know, I think the medicals were the only thing pushing him down to round two where he fell to the Vikings. But I haven't had a guy grade nearly as high as Booth or even Stingley so far this cycle. That said, there are still some very strong corner prospects. My CB1 right now, and this was really interesting for me because Eli Ricks was the guy who had all the hype coming in, uh, rightfully so, right? Again, highly rated recruit, you know, was an instant star as a true freshman, getting four interceptions, five pass deflections. But I'll be honest, man, I watched his tape. Cam Smith out of South Carolina came out with a higher grade than Eli Ricks. Now, Eli Ricks, here's the caveat with Ricks because we've heard that he wasn't very happy at LSU. 
and he transferred to Alabama, a school that's been known for churning out high-level corner prospects year in and year out. So I think that's a, you know, for some corners, it's not quite as important, but for Eli Ricks in this case, I think that is very important because he will have an opportunity to learn from Alabama coaches, right, to play in that system for a year. And I think it can really be a benefit to him because he's a very talented player. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm really holding on for that. My preliminary grade, he came, he came in in the day two range right now, but I do think that Eli Ricks, if the, the, you know, change of scenery at Alabama does what it's supposed to do, he could be CB1 at the very end of the process. But right now, looking at what I have, Cam Smith, I have him as CB1. I actually have Garrett Williams. My preliminary grade for Garrett Williams out of Syracuse has him as CB2. Uh, I think Williams is one thing. And I got to go back and rewatch the tape. But he was one of the guys that I did do a scouting report on off of 2021 tape before he went back. Right. So I kind of I know the deal on him a little bit better than some of these other guys. Explosive, pretty fluid and agile as well. But also, I, I think there's two things that really put Gary Williams above some of these other guys. And he's not the biggest guy like Eli Ricks and Caillou Blue Kelly. Both are longer corners than Williams. But Williams has elite ball skills. So he's very good at contorting, plays it through the catch point, very physical. Uh, and then he's also elite in run support. This is one thing that stood out with Andrew Booth. And I don't think Williams is quite a Booth's level. I don't think anyone is at Booth's level in run support. Booth was insane. But Garrett Williams is very good, reacts quickly, super explosive coming downhill, very good tackler, very physical, very imposing, proactive player. So, you know, looking at him in run support, he can scrape by blocks and make tackles in, in the backfield, right? So, Garrett Williams, elite ball skills, elite run support, maybe not the biggest guy, maybe not a quantifiably elite athlete, you know, with the top end speed, but he is explosive. He is very explosive. And, you know, combining that pro that two pronged playmaking ability, he's up there for me. So I'm a big fan of Garrett Williams. He's my CB2 right now. Eli Ricks coming in at CB3. I think with Ricks, you know, he's explosive. He's very long, too. I saw that he was compared favorably to Richard Sherman out of high school. And I can see that, you know, 6'2", 190. I think he might have near 33-inch arms, very long player. And that length gives him a really wide disruption radius. That said, with Eli Ricks, there are a few red flags for me, uh, one of which being the fluidity. Obviously, I do think there are times when he needs to gather himself a little bit, needs to take a, a few you know, extra steps. His hips can get locked up, especially on those inside transitions, and that can delay his responses, right? So I don't think he's the most fluid guy. He does have above average fluidity for his size, but it's not a overwhelming strength in his game. And I think that could be exploited by quicker receivers. The processing, the reaction quickness can be pretty inconsistent with him. You know, there are times when he's shown he can process and react quickly, but it can be a little streaky in both run support and responding to breaks and coverage. So again, I'd like him to improve there. The technique can be a little more refined, a little more controlled with him as well. He's very reliant on two-hand jams at this point as well, which that can only exacerbate the hip fluidity issues when you're locking out those hips with those two-hand extensions. So I'd like him to, you know, kind of lessen that reliance that and become more independent, use those one-hand jams more often. He's got talent. You know, he's got excellent ball skills, near elite ball skills, very explosive for his size, and he's very physical as well. Uh, so I think Eli Ricks probably translates as that zone corner and covers cover, cover three heavy schemes. But I do think the talent's there, and especially with another year at Alabama, that's the thing. He can be CB1, right? So aside from that, I got Caillou Blue Kelly coming in a little bit after him. I actually really like the upside of Caillou Blue Kelly. He's really got to refine his his technique. That's the thing for me. He's he's pretty twitchy. He's pretty energetic, a high, high energy mover, which I absolutely love. He's pretty explosive, although I think it's more of a long track explosiveness. 
not an elite short area explosive corner, but he is pretty fluid, pretty agile, twitchy. Uh, he's got great size. Again, another very long corner who actually plays really low in his stance. That's what I really love about him is that he can play low. He can load up potential energy. Uh, he's got excellent ball skills. I think he has some of the best ball skills in the class with his ability to contort and time his extensions appropriately. Uh, there is some stuff to clean up. You know, the technique, again, can be more controlled. He gets worked off balance pretty easily. The processing can be a little inconsistent. Uh, but I do I do love the talent, again, with Kyrie Blue Kelly. And I think you're looking at length, explosiveness, physicality. Uh, that's all there with him. And so I would I would really – I would love to see another year with him, but I do think he's got the talent. And then if I had to pick a, a guy to put in my top five aside from them, probably Antonio Johnson out of Texas A&M. Uh, he played from the slot primarily and was very – very good. I mean, he's long, he's explosive, but he's also pretty smart, pretty physical, right? So, you know, I look at him, he's another guy that I got my eye on. I realized I've used about 15 minutes here, so I'll turn it back over to you. <laughs> but uh, I love this corner class, man. You know, maybe not a top end guy like Booth or Stingley, right? Or even Ahmad Gardner. But I do think that there's or Kyir Elam, you know, because I had Elam over Gardner. But, you know, there is a lot of talent in this class to kind of unpack early on. Yeah, <clears throat> you mentioned, you talked about Eli Ricks there. And I, I feel like there is an early consensus of Ricks and Kelly Ringo being the, the top two guys or potentially the top two guys when all of this all shakes out next April. And, and yeah, for me, I think that's mainly deferring to their recruiting billing, right? Like, I, I feel like that's part of it. That's got to be part of it, you think? Yeah, I think there's there's an element of that. I think there's an element of the, the schools that they play for, you know, Georgia, uh, and LSU, LSU particularly producing a large number of, of um, top-tier defensive backs to the NFL in recent years. So I think there is an, there's an element of that. Um, and I think when you look at the two of them, um, for me, I've not I've not studied um, Ricks quite as in depth as Kelly Ringo, but for me, Ringo has a, um, a, a slight edge as we head into the season in terms of we talk about. Uh, in scouting how we can weigh up the physical tools and we talk about particularly where quarterback evaluation is concerned is you, know, you saw it in this last class with the guys like Malik Willis and stuff and Kelly Ringo for me is the epitome of that from a cornerback perspective because he has got all the physical tools he's six foot two 205 pounds he's a long cornerback plays physical speedster you know this is a kid who um Ran sub ten and a half in the hundred meters at high school. Ran just on, just over twenty one seconds in the two hundred meters at high school. He's fast for his size. He's fluid as well. Shows a lot of hip fluidity. He's a he's a an impressive mover. Um, and when you're looking at the cornerback position, that they're the things that, from a physicality standpoint, and um, from physical tool standpoint, shall I say, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at size, length. How does this kid move? How fluid is he in his movements? And and Kali Ringo ticks a lot of the boxes there. And he, he ticks a lot of the boxes at the catch point as well. Um, he's very physical, as you'd expect from, from a kid of his size. You talked about run support. And there's not too many people that will go head-to-head -head with Kali Ringo and come off as the victor. He's that physical. However, the sometimes, and I hope we see it this year for Georgia, there's, there's an element of... Um, his ability to read the game, the technical um, and football intelligence, play recognition of the game that, that Kali Ringo needs to, to work on to really elevate himself to the head of his class because there's this several times, <coughs> excuse me, 
several times where you see his eye discipline really make a fool of him several times where he gets his head around far too easily back to the quarterback you see him sort of 10 yards before the um before the end of the receiver's route and Kelly Ringo's got his head around and the wide receiver is past him and then in, in the end zone I think if you can work on those things the physical tools are there for Kelly Ringo to be one of the top cornerbacks in this class excuse me <laughs> you're, you're good you're good this man is, I, I, this I understand is podcast of me I, no, but I, I remember you said, uh, wasn't Kalei Ringo like playing at like over well over 200 last year or something like that? Was that you who told me that like 215 or something? Yeah, so he was listed at 205, and I think it was, at one point he was playing at 220 pounds, and he was still my goodness, and uh, he was still moving flat out, he was still, um, you know, the, his change of direction was still awesome. His back pedal, his transition from his back pedal into run. Very, very fluid athlete. And I, I think I wrote in his scouting report, like this this kid is almost like a, how do you build a cornerback prospect in a laboratory? That's yeah, kind of what like, Kelly usually Ringo is Usually corners like. are like up to 200 is usually the maximum, right? If you're a taller corner, like maybe 205, right? But he's well over that. And he looks it on tape. I mean, this dude is burly, right? So I can definitely see it. What you got on Clark Phillips real quick. I realized that I used up like half of our podcast time with my <laughs> with my little bit alone. But Clark Phillips, I, I understand you like him as well from Utah. Uh, may, maybe not the same size that Ringo or a lot of these guys offer, but he plays with that physicality. He plays bigger than his, than his frame. What you got? Yeah, for sure. On, on Clark Phillips, the scouting report I actually wrote, it isn't the size of a dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. Because Clark Phillips comes in at 5'9 and two eights, <coughs> which for a cornerback is not ideal, let's put it that way. Um, and you would almost immediately pigeonhole him playing at the slot. But this this kid has hold, hold down the outside cornerback position at Utah. And he's he he's gone up against guys like Drake London and competed at the catch point. This is the level of impressive ball skills, the level of impressive physicality and aggression, the level of um, the impressive athletic ability. You know, an extremely impressive vertical athlete, but a very a guy with fast feet, good long speed, good fluidity. Again, as as we we're saying about Kelly Ringer. Excellent lateral agility, change of direction, the really sticky man coverage um, at Clark Phillips. And and just like you say, plays so much more aggressive and physical than you would expect from a kid that's under five foot ten. Now, having said that, there's some games on tape. I watched the Oregon 2021 game and he was bullied several times in that game where he was just easily shocked backwards on contact, easily pushed to the ground. And um and that would be a worry, I think, for NFL teams if you see that. But that is that's they're few and far between. I think those examples. They're, that's not the norm for, for Clark Phillips. And if anything, the norm is him being too physical. And you know, he needs to be mindful of being too physical at a catch point. A couple of games with penalty flags thrown, which seeded significant yardage in the in the games that studied. Um, so he's got to kind of find that very fine line between physicality and aggression and, and being something a little bit um, beyond control. But yeah, I, I really like um, a lot of what Clark Phillips brings to the game. I think the the size is really going to be a, a sticking point for NFL teams. Um, but there's no doubt that the, the kid's got ball skills, the kid's got athletic ability. 
Um, so it's just a case of how much do NFL teams weigh that sub five foot ten um, height disadvantage uh, against him. Yeah, for sure. And I remember researching him. You know, I, I didn't know this coming in, but he was originally an Ohio State commit. So he committed to them. For he sure. committed, joined Utah. So he has that pedigree to him as well. And the talent shows up on film. I love the plays that he makes in pursuit, you know, running behind guys. Definitely has that high energy. You know, that 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 frame is going to limit him at times, especially against bigger receivers. But again, you can't teach that dog. And if he's got that dog in him, then that, that's definitely that's definitely something you want in your locker room. So Clark Phillips, definitely got to watch. I know Utah has a ton of good football players on the roster. So that whole team, honestly, the Clark Phillips, one of the top players on that defense. Real quick, before we get into some of the top takeaways from our conference studies, Ali, who are some corners that you're excited to watch in the future? I know, you know, if we can focus on our conferences, like I know the Big Ten has a ton of corners, and you mentioned like any conference you look at, there are going to be guys that you're going to want to keep an eye on. Like in the Big Ten, you know, looking at Jacorian Bennett from Maryland or DJ Turner from Michigan, you know, those are guys that I am circling and putting down. And Iowa had some nice players as well. Uh, so you, there's there's always going to be players that kind of co come up through the pipeline that you kind of get on the conveyor belt and say, hey, let's see if this guy eventually makes it and, and you know, commands a draft pick. So in the SEC or, you know, elsewhere, who are some guys that maybe caught your eye and you're hoping to watch more of, expose more of in the future? Yeah, I think you mentioned that today, Johnson. <clears throat> I love the fact that um, at six foot three and 200 pounds, he's played predominantly um, in the slot. The Texas A&M, whilst possessing a frame that some outside cornerbacks could only dream of, and it, look, it certainly seems like he's going to play that role again this year, which almost does a disservice to the sort of the size, length, speed, and the impact that he can have at the catch point. Emmanuel Forbes, I really like out of Mississippi State. You know, they have Martin Emerson this year. Forbes, I was scouting um, Keishon Butte, and Emmanuel Forbes did such a great job of keeping. Keishon Butte, who isn't an easy guy to keep under wraps. Emmanuel Forbes did a great job there. 6'4", 180 pounds, ball skills, speed, both downhill and his back pedal, very quick in a back pedal, very fluid. Got the athletic ability for man coverage, the IQ for zone coverage. I think Emmanuel Forbes is a guy to, to keep an eye on. And then an under-the-radar guy, Jeremy Lucien at Vanderbilt, 6'2", <coughs> excuse me, 6'2", 192 pounds, size, length, athletic ability. He's, uh, excuse me, UConn transfer who has the opportunity to elevate his draft stock in the SEC this year. Yeah, I, that whole conference is just stacked, man. Like, I'm, I'm, it always is, right? But when you got guys at Vanderbilt, then you know you're working with a lot of talent for sure. So I'm excited to see Antonio Johnson in particular. He's the one that really stood out to me when watching. I, you know, the modern NFL with the way it's turning, you know, having that big slot who can cover both, you know, maybe move tight ends or receivers in the slot, you know, with guys like Traylon Burks projecting into that role. You know, if you have a guy with the size and the athletic ability to match up with that, you know, that can be valuable, right? So I'm looking at that and thinking NFL teams might circle Antonio Johnson for that kind of role. So it's looking like a deep class. We don't know if there's going to be that top-end talent that last year's class had with Andrew Booth and Derek Singley and Elam and, and Gardner, but it is going to be a very strong class. So I'm, I'm excited to keep kind of digging into that. We've got about, you know, the, the clock's at seven minutes. We'll, we'll bend it to 10. We're good at that. We'll bend it to 10. Uh, so I know we were going through our conferences. You were focusing on SEC teams, and I was focusing on Big Ten teams. And what we were doing 
over the past two weeks or so for our draft preview, our 2023 NFL draft preview is really going through each team and trying to get an accurate accounting of the draft prospects from each team at every position and just kind of running through who might make noise on the draft circuit. So Ali, real quick, uh, if you're finished coughing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that, but you know, <laughs> I, I hope you're feeling better soon, man. I mean, I, are you just getting so excited talking about these guys or something or, or what's just, is it just uh, allergies? It's just, again? A lump in my, just, just a lump in my throat because I'm so emotional about all these amazing cornerback prospects. So that's, that's what I was thinking, man. I just, I just wanted to confirm, but no, get well soon <laughs> for real, brother, for real, brother. I know, I know it's not going to be, but looking at the SEC, you know, who, who are some teams, we've talked about corners now, who are some teams that you know, might not be talked about right now as having the massive classes, you know, like obviously Alabama and Georgia are going to be the first that you come, that come to mind, right? But what, who's an SEC team, you know, just a few maybe that may have deeper or stronger classes than you first believed before going into this? Who, what's the team that really caught your eye with the depth or, you know, degree of talent that they possess right now? Honestly, there's like several in the SEC that you, you always look like you say to the Alabamas and to the Georgias. There's a few, and we, we talked about South Carolina on this podcast um, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about them having a potentially, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, potentially deep, deep uh, draft class, and they've they've got a superb amount of potential prospects. LSU, um, I think I counted almost twenty guys at LSU who, you know, it is June. We are the whole season of college football away. But these are guys that you look at and you can say, yeah, there's a little something, something there. And, and LSU has got, you know, we've talked about Keishon Butte. We've talked about um, some of the, the the pass rushes, guys like Ali Gay and, and BJ Ojolari, defensive tackling and Jaqueline J- J- Roy. There's, there's uh, four different quarterbacks, not all of them draft eligible, but... You know that that have potential in this year's class or next year's class. There's there's a lot of talent at LSU. Um, what surprised me, and I know you talked about Isaiah Maguire in your edge sleepers um, piece. Missouri have got a low key, decent looking potential draft class. So Isaiah Maguire, the pass rusher, um, Chris Abraham's drain, the cornerback has already uh, received quite a lot of attention early on in this class. Jalen Carley's for me the safety out of Missouri. This is a six hundred three. That's six hundred three. He's not that tall or heavy. Six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pounds safety. He had four interceptions in two thousand twenty one. Decent speed, really good football instincts. He's got length on top of that six three frame. Special teams experience as well. And when we talk about finding sleepers and breakouts and, and late round gold special teams experience is obviously a huge tick in that box and, and Jalen Collies has got that he's an enforcer in the run game I watched um I watched him against Kentucky and I watched him against Georgia and he made two great plays in that game and against Kentucky against Chris Rodriguez a guy who is a, a bowling ball a lump of rock as a running back force a ball out with an absolutely mega hit on the goal line and I think you, you look at a guy like Jalen Carley's. Missouri have had a, <clears throat> a couple of, of safeties drafted in recent years with Tyree Gillespie and um, Joshua Bledsoe. How can I forget Josh Bledsoe? He's a Patriot, for God's sake. Um, the um, So I think Missouri have got like a, a low-key, decent chance of having a couple of prospects in the 2023 NFL draft, a, a program where you wouldn't, necessarily expect them to produce a lot and and before i flip it back to you i know you're a big fan of 
Darnell Wright at Tennessee. And I think Tennessee have got a number of potential prospects on both sides of the ball. You were a big fan of, uh, of oh, Matthew Butler. Nearly forgot his name. Matthew Butler last yep. year. Now, they, they've got uh, another defensive tackle prospect. I think I messaged you like the night that I watched him and I was like, dude, have you, have you seen anything of Amari Thomas? And uh, that, that kid's six foot, 320 pounds. Registered four forced fumbles, five tackles for loss, last four, uh, last four. Quick first step, shows good first step explosion. He wins both inside and out. Um, long, powerful, block shedder, impacts passing lanes with his length. There's a lot to like about Amari Thomas and Tennessee alongside Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle. They've got a, um, a guard whose name almost escapes me. I want to say Jerome Carvin. He's given up like one yeah, sack in nearly no, like one sack in something like nineteen hundred snaps, something ridiculous like that. Um, guys played across the offensive line uh, yeah. for Tennessee. They've, they've got a sneaky number of uh, draft prospects in the two thousand twenty three NFL draft class. Yeah, on offense and defense. I mean, they got running back Jabari yeah. Small. They have uh, Cedric Tillman, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, I know his breakout was a little later than you know you're accustomed to seeing for wide receivers, but has a lot of stuff on tape. He checks a lot of boxes. Darnell Wright, uh, Jerome Carvin, obviously then on defense. Tyler Barron on the edge. Omari Thomas on the defensive line. Jeremy Banks, uh, inside linebacker. So Tennessee has a lot. I'm excited about that. And Jalen Carley's at Missouri. I remember writing his name down, so I know he caught my eye at some point. I'm excited to go back and dive in and see what makes him such a good prospect. But yeah, the SEC, you know, even beyond those first two teams, obviously very deep. We're almost out of time here, and I wasted like 15 minutes earlier, so I'm going to bite the bullet and, and kind of go quickly through mine. But the Big Ten is pretty deep, too. I think if I can hone in on certain position groups and certain teams as well, you know, Wisconsin has a few uh, that I'm excited to see. Obviously, you're looking at, you know, the offense with the offensive line. Joe Tittman, the center, is very good. Uh, I, I, got, I got some I got a glimpse of him. Uh, he's a big dude around 6'6", 320, but he manages that weight pretty well. Uh, powerful, athletic. He's a mauler as well. So very excited to see him play. Ches Malusi. Uh, the running back, Braylon Allen gets all the hype, but Ches Malusi, a pretty dang good number two in that running back room. And he's, you know, a little smaller, but has pretty good burst, pretty good agility, loose hips. I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, Maryland, that receiving core, Rakeem Jarrett, Dante Demas coming back from injury, Jacob Copeland transferring over from Florida. Very talented unit if Talia Tagovailoa can put it together. You know, he's got a lot of work to do. But they have the talent in that in that receiving room, so I'm very excited to see them. They got Jalen Duncan, offensive tackle, as well. So Maryland could be a team to watch, and even on defense with guys like Darrell Nachami, Jacorian Bennett. Uh, Maryland is a team that I think could turn out more draft talent than we're kind of giving them credit for right now. And then if I can pivot to others, man, Nebraska, there's a lot of uh, inter interesting transfer additions in the Big Ten. You know, that's that's the fun part. I think Nebraska probably made the most use of the transfer portal, getting Trey Palmer, former five-star from U from LSU at wide receiver, and then Casey Thompson at quarterback from Texas. I was a pretty big fan of Thompson and his upside. So I'm hoping that this new destination at Nebraska can help unlock his talent and give him some stability. Uh, but they got some talent on defense as well that I'm excited to see. Indiana is another one. Uh, I think one prospect in particular that I really want to see get a bigger workload is A.J. Barner, tight end. He's a little bit undersized, a little bit underweight, but he's tall. He's lanky. 
and he's shown in you know brief flashes that he does have very good body control, very good athleticism in open space. They they got Connor Bazelak coming from the transfer portal, actually coming from Missouri, interestingly enough. So I'm hoping that he can give AJ Barner some a few more valuable opportunities at the catch point. Uh, that stability quarterback could grant him a greater workload, greater consistency. Uh, maybe we'll see that. But the bottom line is, you know, all of these conferences, they're the top teams like Ohio State and Michigan that kind of draw all the attention. But the teams below them actually have some underrated talent as well. Uh, so never look away from that. Always do your full due diligence in kind of seeking out those gems uh, because every draft cycle, there are a ton, and especially now with the COVID year kind of impacting that eligibility. There's always going to be more guys to watch, at least for the next few years. And, and going further, I don't think that's going to stop. So that's one way to look at it. We're going to keep churning through conference previews in the future. I've got through the Big Ten, the SEC. Ali, which conference do you have again? The AAC coming up, right? Yes, sir. Just got two teams to finish off in the SEC. Then we're on to the AAC. And that, I kind of want to say, the Sunbelt. Sunbelt, Funbelt. Sunbelt, Funbelt. That's the way it is. I got to check and see which one I got next. I'll be honest. I forgot. But I will I will get back to you, and we will make sure that we come back on this podcast with our takeaways from the next one. Uh, but in the meantime, I think we are out of time. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in again. Sorry for the week delay. Holidays got in the way, but we will be back one a week for the next few, next couple months. I think. And then as the season kind of gets closer in August, we'll probably ramp it up back again to two a week and we'll keep it going that way. That's all for now, everyone. Peace out. Have a good one.